This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Hi, guys. Today, we've got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Tom Askell. So he is an evangelical Christian pastor, author, and the president of Founders Ministries in the Institute of Public Theology. He's also the senior pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Florida and the host of the Sword and the Trow podcast. So I've been very excited to learn about him, and he kind of came on my radar in 2019. And that's really one of the center points of our discussion today. And that's what's happened inside of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I've gotten a lot of emails and a lot of DMs over the last couple of years, basically since 2019, like, Kyle, why aren't you talking about what's happening in the SBC? Like, do you just not go to an SBC church? Do you not care about this? Why won't you talk about it? And part of it was because there's so many layers to what's going on inside the Southern Baptist Convention that I didn't feel uh, equipped or comfortable with the information that I was finding online and this hearsay type stuff to talk about it confidently on the show. So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to get Tom on the show because he was in the middle of everything that was going on uh, with really the last several decades of the SBC, but especially the last few years. When we get into Resolution 9 that was passed in 2019, what he and Vody Bauckham were trying to do this year at the SBC National Convention to try to counteract that. But there's a a lot of these postmodern kind of humanist ideologies that are kind of taking hold with some of the most prominent people inside of the SBC. And so we talk about that. We talk about if he thinks the SBC will eventually disband or split. Uh, we get into some other subject matters. But the other big thing that we talked about is Christian nationalism. So that's another topic that's very, very big that a lot of people have asked me about that I haven't spoken about explicitly at length about on this particular show, but we get into that. Like, should we embrace that label? What does that label even mean when people say, Hey, we didn't even have a Christian founding or, you know, all Western countries are essentially the same. How do you respond to that? But then we also, towards the end of the podcast, we talk about masculinity and manhood inside the church. We talk about the liberalization of seminaries. What, what can be done about that? We didn't have all the time in the world today. So I know there's some follow-ups out there that you guys would have surely wanted me to ask, but I just kind of had to move on and kind of keep the ball rolling. But I really, really enjoyed my time with Tom. So without further ado, let's get into it. Tom Askell, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Well, thanks, Kyle. Glad to be with you. I told you off air, I've been looking forward to this one for a while because there's a couple of big topics I want to get into today. But for those that don't know you, obviously I talked about you a little bit in the introduction, so I kind of gave your background. But give me the SparkNotes version about how you became a professional Christian. Because I'm assuming when you were just a little tyke, maybe you wanted to be a you know a, in the Army or be a Major League Baseball player or something like that. You probably didn't think you would be doing what you're doing now. So how'd all that go down? Yeah, well, I was raised by a godly mother uh, in a troubled family, and uh, she was uh, a praying woman, and I'm the youngest of six. All six of us came to Christ, and uh, there's some that are in heaven now, but the rest of us are persevering in faith uh, at this stage of our lives. It's a testimony of God's grace. I wanted to be a lawyer, but uh, God determined that uh, he was going to make me a special example and trophy of just how sovereign and powerful his grace is. There you go. Uh, he saved me. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an incredible thing for me to stop and think about. I, I should probably be in prison for axe murdering, but uh, God stopped me and arrested me and brought me to himself. 
And you, you've been a pastor for a very, very long time, senior pastor of Grace Baptist Church there in Florida, uh, podcast host, written books, helped out with a bunch of a lot uh, other things. But probably the most prominent thing and one of the things I want to talk with you the most about in the past year or two is what's been going on at the Southern Baptist Convention or the SBC. And there are there are so there's so much detail in this, Tom, that mm-hmm. I've I've neglected to talk about it on my show when I've done my solo episodes because I'm like this seem is seemingly too complicated. Not everybody that listens is SBC or even cares about the SBC. But right. if you could, because we're going to get into you know resolution nine and you know kind of what you and uh, Vody did and all that. But can you just give us an overview of the issues that have come up with the SBC over the last few years, and then you know we'll start digging into what you were trying to do to to counteract them. Yeah, well, the Southern Baptist Convention is not like other denominations that uh, your listeners may be familiar with because we're not um, a church. People will make the mistake and talk about the Southern Baptist Church. Well, there is no the Southern Baptist Church. Mm -hmm. It is a convention or an association of churches, 47,000 to 50,000, something like that, throughout the United States. It's the largest Protestant denomination in North America, but every church is autonomous. Every church is independent. And so the SBC has no controlling say over any local church. And that that makes it uh, unique in the the broad landscape of Protestant denominations uh, in the world, actually. But that's just, that's what it means to be Baptist. A Baptist church is always independent and autonomous. So because of that, We cooperate as we see fit, and uh, we do that voluntarily. So there's no coercion. There's no requirements. Oh, you know, you've got to uh, toe the line here. You've got to do this. The the SBC is autonomous as well, and so they can uh, remove churches and say, we're not going to have you as a part of this association. But they cannot in any way try to dictate to uh, a Baptist church what it must do. Now, obviously, you know, you deny the Lordship of Christ or you, you deny certain specific things that Southern Baptists become sensitive to over the years, then they're not going to uh, let you stay in the association. So because of that, because of that, there's always hope for reformation because it's, it's independent churches. It's not like, oh my, you know, the, the, uh, PCUSA or the United Methodist Church. We've seen all that's happened to them the last few years where once uh, rot takes hold and uh, apostasy is at the highest levels, there's nothing that local churches can really do about that. Well, the churches that are members of the SBC have all of the opportunity to make changes. But what's happened over, over the last 20 or 30 years or so, um, the SBC went through a, a big battle back in the late part of the 20th century, the 80s and 90s. I mean, there were a lot of hard fought conventions, annual meetings where we fought for the uh, affirmation of the inerrancy and the, the full authority of God's word. And by God's grace, that happened. And so uh, we had our seminaries and our entities that we own that represent us all pretty much cleaned out of liberalism. So praise God for that. Well, then conservatives went to sleep and they just trusted our leaders. And what happened is too many of our leaders began to be influenced by the culture and intimidated by the culture. When the culture came in and began to say, well, this is what love is and and this is how you must show uh, your 
respect for people that are different from you. And this is what is racism. And this is what is misogyny. And, and how dare you do anything that would look like that. And, and this is what it means to uh, be submissive to governing authorities. Well, those things were going on for a long time. But 2018, 19, 20 just pulled the curtain back so that even those who were living in denial could no longer honestly admit that uh, we have not been played by the culture. And sadly, our leaders in the SBC failed, uh, almost without exception. They failed. Even the good guys, my friends that I love, they failed in their leadership because they led their, their institutions and agencies to pretty well comply with, go along with these cultural ideologies and the, the new winds that were blowing. And that's a grievous thing to me because um, I think it's a lack of courage. I think it's a, um, they didn't, did not have the courage of their convictions. Some of them, I think, really privately believe this. I've had them tell me that, you know, privately, we're with you. But publicly, they refuse to take a stand. And it has gotten us in a mess. And it matters, Kyle, because the SBC owns six seminaries. It uh, owns the largest missionary sending agency, I think, in the world, certainly North America, uh, and uh, a home missionary agency as well and church planning network called the North American Mission Board. So the SBC matters. And it's either going to matter for good or it's going to matter for ill. And my great fear is that we're on a downgrade. And... Um, Unless God grants repentance and real reformation revival, we're going to see a lot of bad things continue to happen and be exacerbated in the years to come. Tom, there's so many th tendrils that come off of that that I want to talk about, and hopefully we have time to do it. But to just kind of keep this this moving a little bit specifically, you came on my radar in 2019 because of all the hubbub with Resolution 9. And so Resolution 9 feels like to me, for someone that hasn't spent my whole life in the SBC or studying the SBC or any of those things, that felt like a turning point, not just for the SBC, but for Christendom in the United States. And I'm trying not to be hyperbolic as I say that, but if you could please give us a rundown of what Resolution 9 was, kind of your response to it, and then kind of what ended up happening with it. Yeah, well, Resolution 9 came up. Southern Baptists have an annual meeting every year in June. And it usually goes for uh, like a day and a half or two days or so. Well, in the last session, and the last closing minutes of the last session of our 2019 convention, there was a resolution introduced by the resolutions committee. And uh, it wasn't done. It was certainly done indelicately. And you might even say deceitfully. A lot of accusations have flown about that. Regardless of the, the motivations, there was an attempt to get Southern Baptists on record. And it was successful. They did affirming critical race theory and intersectionality as useful analytical tools that Christians can take up and help them minister the gospel of God's grace. Uh, now, nobody was talking about CRT or intersectionality on a, on a broad scale in the SBC before that. I was alert to it because of some other things that had happened in the previous couple of years, and I'd gone to school. I tried to learn about it because I saw this creeping in at different places, but I guarantee you that no more than than 10%, if that many, of the messengers from our churches that were still left in the room at the close of that convention probably had even heard of intersectionality or critical race theory, certainly didn't understand. Mm -hmm. I've had people that voted for that, that uh, resolution come up to me and tell me, I didn't really know what I was voting for. I'd never heard of these things. I just trusted the platform. I trusted the people in charge, the leaders 
who recommended that we ought to approve this. And so I and a few others, we when you know we found out about it, uh, we offered some amendments. We tried to fight it, tried to, to do whatever we could to get Southern Baptists not to go on record affirming these things, but we failed. Uh, in that attempt. But with the failure, I think God used the failure, our failure, uh, in even a more dramatic way than perhaps he would have had we been successful because it caused people to stand up and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, what just happened there? What's going on? And uh, we produced a documentary that came out of that by what standard that, uh, I don't know, it's been seen hundreds of thousands of times in as well. So God overruled it and is overruling it for good. But boy, it was a real commentary on how bad off we are. Well, and to be honest, Tom, you, you know, most people don't scroll through their news feed and see anything about the SBC. But in 2019, that was different because all of a sudden, a lot of people that never talked about this were talking about it. It's like, okay, something's happening here. And it's not because there's a slow news cycle. Again, that's still in the thick of Donald Trump's presidency. So every time he sneezed or farted, you know, it became, you know, headline news or something like that. But, you know, you didn't just sit by and be like, oh, gosh, darn it. Oh, shucks. You know, I guess that's just what's going to happen now. You and the lion, Vody Bauckham, tried to do something about it during this year's SBC National Convention. So what did you try to do? Because I, I was a fan of this and I, I was trying to get both of y'all on the show before it happened and we, we couldn't quite work it out. But what did y'all try to do and what was the outcome? Yeah, well, in 2020, the uh, convention didn't meet and mm-hmm. I was prepared to uh, offer uh, every parliamentary maneuver I could come up with that would be legitimate to try to get us to rescind that resolution that we adopted in 2019. Of course, COVID shut down everything, so we didn't meet. So 2021 rolled around and um, there was talk about doing that. We actually put together a resolution that had over 1,300 signatures on it, unprecedented in the history of the SPC and the resolutions committee rejected it, wouldn't even bring it out, wouldn't let it be discussed or debated. Uh, by the messengers that showed up. And a lot of messengers showed up specifically to vote for that resolution. It was atrocious. Again, failed leadership, failed leadership. We heard from the resolution's chairman in 2021, the world is watching, the world is watching. You know, We heard that all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, we don't want to do anything that's going to make people think ill of us. You know, we want to be nice. We want to be seen as kind rather than actually, in my estimation, being kind and being loving, which was, which always goes with telling the truth. So out of that, you know, I've had people for years say, Hey, we want you to run for president of the SBC. And I, my standard answers, I'd rather be beaten with a bag of pennies. (laughs) I'm a pastor. I love the church. I pastor here in Cape Coral, Florida. Um, it's what God's called me to do. Our church is Southern Baptist, but that's not our identity. You know, I think we're the best kind of Southern Baptist church. And that is the kind that doesn't think, oh, good night. The SBC is the be all end all in the kingdom of God. I mean, it's not. It's useful. It's done some wonderful things. It's got tremendous potential for good or for bad. And so we have participated on that basis. But uh, finally, there were, there were people that convinced me, convinced our elders here at the church uh, that sat down with them and said, hey, listen, here's why we think you guys ought to be willing to let Tom do this. So the elders bought it. In fact, the elders in, in the course of a week went from no, no way to, saying, yeah, we believe this is God's will. And an interesting kind of uh, twist to this is, man, I was, uh, I was ragging Bodie uh, pretty hard and saying, brother, you know, we, we see these problems and uh, why don't you, why don't you let your name be submitted? And he's just, you know, no, absolutely not. That's crazy. And uh, then he began to acquiesce, you know, he said, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I will. And, 
and he was ready to do it. And we just discovered that he couldn't do it because he's a, a missionary over in, in uh, joined has rightly joined a church where he is in Lusaka. And so he didn't have the credentials to actually be president of the SBC. But there's a pastor's conference that meets every year before the SBC. And you don't have to be, um, there's no real bylaws for that organization. So Vody could be nominated to be president of the pastor's conference. So what Vody said was, uh, he said, no, you know, I can't do it, but Tom, you're the one that persuaded me, you do it. And so Vody's voice was added to these others and and our church, we love Vody. We have a great relationship, goes back a long time. So anyway, I basically, we said to each other, I will if you will. Mm. And uh, we agreed to do that with, the, the only reason is to attempt to take this organization that is not going away and to try to see it begin to make recovery from the retrograde, the downgrade that it has been on now for many years. So you did that and just to kind of, you know, go, go toward the end there didn't work. Uh, neither one of y'all were, were accepted into those positions. Uh, I don't know. Was it ever actually close or in question? Because I remember like crossing my fingers, hope, you know, sending prayers towards Anaheim like that this would happen. But what was the, the kind of the final tally? Were y'all ever really close in the running? No, I can't even remember. I think I got, I don't know, like 30% or 35%. Okay. I, I don't remember. And Vody, I don't remember his either. Um, but there was just the, the whole SBC machinery came out against you know, this, they, they thought it was unfair for Vody as somebody living in Zambia to even want to be president of the pastor's conference. And, you know, um, I mean, I, there were all kinds of things said about me. Um, you know, I mean, it's just stuff not true. Now, some yeah. of it's true, but, you know, a lot of the stuff was just made well, up. Well, Tom, <laughs> it, feel, it feels like anytime the machine uh, puts all of its ire towards one person. I usually start paying attention to that person more, right? Because the entire, you know, we already mentioned Trump in this podcast, the entire political machine gave all of the attention and, you know, took all the oxygen out of the room starting in 2016. And that just kept going and it's still going on today. Like there's so many news, uh, you know, agencies are like, Oh, thank God he's running for president again. And he announced like 17 years before the next election, this is going to be great for ratings, but you know, to kind of get up and, and we have so many other things I want to talk about today. So we'll kind of put a bow on the SBC stuff with this question. Do you think, and I know you're, you know, you're not going to prophesy this, but like, do you think that the SBC will eventually disband entirely or maybe more likely have a split where there is a legitimate schism where here are the people that believe this and here are the people that believe that here are the people that want to make sure that we have critical race theory and all these other whatever isms that we can use as a lens through which to view the world and all that nonsense versus the other people that are like well we have the inerrant word of god here so let, let's go to this and, and let's operate according to this how do you see the future of the sbc shaking out yeah, well, it, I tell you what's already happening is that churches are leaving. Uh, we've seen a mass uh, amount of churches, massive amount, that have just begun to leave over the last few years after what happened in Anaheim and the way that it happened. You know, I got contacted. I don't know how many people, pastors saying, brother, you know, we can't take this, what they did to you and Vody and how that shook it down, what was happening on the floor of the convention. We're gone. We're gone. And I get—I don't try to talk people into staying in the SBC. I, you know, I, I understand it. It's you got to be willing to fight. You got to be willing to see a big picture and take a stand. And there, you know, there comes a point in time where churches say it's not worth our time and energy. I get it. So uh, I think that's what's going to happen. I don't think we're going to see a split. Um, but do I believe it can be recovered? Yeah, I certainly do because we have a God who raises people from the dead. And if I didn't believe that, you know, well, I would certainly get out. Uh, 
I don't know if he's he doesn't need the SBC. So, you know, the SBC can uh, just carry on and, and do even worse and become horrible in multiple ways. And God's kingdom is not going to miss a beat. So I don't know what the Lord's going to do. Every church is going to have to determine their own sense of stewardship about that. I don't think it will split. I think what will happen is uh, if there's recovery, I hope it'll be a, a wise recovery and a humbled and chastened recovery such that we don't go to sleep and we try to see things um, done well and, and safeguards put up against the ideologies of the world. But if that happens, it's, it's going to be miserable. It's going to be hard because I, I really think the SBC, I've been told this by insiders, well-trained lawyers have told me this, the SBC will be sued into oblivion by a lot of what's going on today in the whole Me Too movement stuff. So uh, I don't know if that'll happen or not. Yeah, we'll see. But I think you said the key thing there, Tom, which is that God doesn't need the SBC. And I think that's a good reminder for everybody that thinks God needs the fill in the blank. God yeah. doesn't need the Republican Party. God right. doesn't need your church or, or your specific pastor to do the things that he wants to do and to accomplish the works that he wants to accomplish on this planet. But as I promised, we'll go ahead and wrap up the SBC stuff there because there's other stuff to get into. So early next year in January, you've got your 2023 National Founders Conference. I, I believe it's sold out as of uh, the recording of this podcast. So congratulations on that. It's called What is a Man? So you're speaking, Bodie Bauckham, Paul Washer, a lot of uh, guys that are you know we're fans of on this show and certainly our fans are fans of them as well. So I want to talk about the, the pre-conference here in a second, but if you would kind of give us an idea of what this conference, the National Founders Conference of 2023 is about, what do you hope to accomplish with it? Yeah, well, uh, we set this uh, theme and agenda a couple of years ago. And again, God was very kind to, to make it almost prophetic and certainly timely because um, now we've got a Supreme Court justice who says she can't tell us what a woman is. Yeah. And that's that's just kind of a, a, a public, again, in your face. Well, Tom, Tom, she's not a biologist. I mean, come on. Like, what? how could she possibly answer without the credentials, you know? I know. It, it, you know, we're just, our society is so drunk on postmodernism and, mm -hmm. and just evil and wickedness. And rather than standing firm and declaring, no, there is a clear definition of man and woman because the God who created this world created men and women. The church has kind of gone silent and we've had people like J.D. Greer and Ed Litton and others say, we need to use pronoun hospitality. So, you know, if somebody tells you they want you to call him he or her or she or Z or whatever, then, you know, be hospitable, be loving. Yeah, forget about truth and, and all that nonsense. We don't need any of that. That's why, I mean, you don't love people if you lie to them. If you participate in their lives, you're not loving them. So we've just been played, man. I, I We got so much confusion and um, biblical uh, infidelity uh, in certain sectors of the Christian church that you can no longer assume that we all will answer the question the same way when you ask, what is a man? And so that's what we're doing. We're going to deal with biblical anthropology and we're going to go hard after it from Genesis all the way through. This is what God says, not, bo both about male and femaleness, because he created us male and female, but also about creatureliness and the fact that we are not God, that we are here for God. He created us for himself, by himself. This is his show. He has given us a place in his show, and our responsibility is to fulfill that place. We are to do what he's called us to do as creatures made in his image. And those of us who are redeemed should know that 
and learn it better and communicate it and call all creatures made in his image to repentance because they've rebelled against their creator and they need what only he has provided in Jesus Christ. So uh, it's it's timely and the, the men who are coming are just rock stars in my estimation in terms of their ability to handle the Bible and seeing these issues clearly. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think I don't know anything that we could have done that would have been more timely. So I would agree with that. And I'm trying not to blow up my own interview here because I keep saying there's a lot of stuff I want to cover and I'm looking at the clock here, but you mentioned a word that is like, it's become a buzzword and that's love, right? How do we love people? So you specifically talk about the pronoun thing. I've asked people before that are Bible believing Christians, they believe in the resurrection, all the different things that will use pronouns that they know do not align with somebody's biological sex that God gave to them as a gift because they don't want to be non-hospitable or inhospitable. They, they want to be nice. They don't want to be needlessly offensive. But I I think with everything, whether you're LGBTQ affirming, whether you're trans affirming, whether you're complementarian in your heart, but egalitarian, you know, in public or something like that, everybody has this very warped sense of what love is. And they think apparently that love is saying all the sinning you're doing, no big deal. Because love, because the overarching thing for everybody is love. I actually want to read this because I've already talked about this on my show, but you probably saw this online. This was a tweet uh, by Dr. Kevin M. Young. He's a faculty member at Northwind uh, Seminary. So we'll talk about the liberalization of seminaries, but literally I'll read this and then I want to get your thoughts on love and how we love people. I've been chewing on this response to my tweet. I've realized that for me, Gay marriage actually paints a more beautiful semiotic of Christ and his church than a mere hetero one, a mere hetero one. God's kingdom is diverse in makeup, experience, and belief, but one thing unites above all, love. Okay, so you got jack wagons like this out there saying things, and you got all these morons online that are like, yeah, yeah, sounds plausible. Yeah, that actually seems to make sense because God is a God of love. Obviously, he's certainly not a God of wrath. You know, know, there's only the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah is too scary. We don't want to talk about him. So I know I just went on my own little tangent there. So save me. Talk to me about love, Tom. (laughs) Yeah, well, that statement is heretical, blasphemous. Uh, This guy should not. I mean, if he's a Christian, he is so bad off. He needs to just resign from every position he has and have somebody. Yeah, he's, he's a professional pastor. He's a he's a faculty member at, at a at a seminary that apparently exists in real life. So there you go. I mean, again, if we this this is an indication. That's another indication of how far we have been overrun by the culture. And I mean, it's not love to lie to people. Love. First Corinthians thirteen says rejoices in truth. Mm-hmm. is in truth where there's no truth in telling a man he's a woman or using a pronoun that would make him feel good because he wants to be a woman or thinks he is a woman, whatever the level of dysphoria there might be there. What's happened, Kyle, is in our churches, we have substituted neighbor love, which Jesus tells us we must have for neighbor nice. And we think mm-hmm. that if we can just be nice to people that that's yeah. being loving. Well, I'll tell you what, I would rather be thought mean while being loving than to be thought loving while being unkind and harsh and brutal to people because you're sending them to hell with all kind of nice feelings about them. Neighbor nice. That may be what I end up calling this episode. We'll figure it out uh, towards the end here. But I absolutely agree with that. Like, where did we get this idea that the overwhelming ethic of this world is politeness? 
Because there are some things, if you read the gospel accounts and you look at what Jesus did, we have evidence to suggest that Jesus didn't clear the temple once. He did it twice. Once at the beginning of his ministry and once at the end of his ministry. And then you got these morons out there that are saying like, well, Jesus did that. He didn't give the apostles the ability to do that. It's like, wait a minute. Now you're going against this whole idea that we should be Christ-like. So we're just reading the Gospels as, you know, an allegorical representation of what a Middle Eastern Jew did 2,000 years ago. Is that is that what we've reduced the New Testament to? Or should that be a, an actual roadmap to our own godliness and our own Christ-likeness, as it were? So, again, you're going to make me mad if we keep talking about it. So we need to get to something else so that we can calm ourselves down. I want to talk about Christian nationalism. So everybody on the planet, regardless of their background, regardless of their persuasion, has a very strong moronic opinion about what Christian nationalism is. And for me, I don't see it like people see it as like, okay, if you embrace so-called Christian nationalism, you're basically a brown shirt. You're walking around in your jack boots, you know, kicking down doors and, you know, pulling black people and homosexuals and Jews out and shooting them in the streets. It's like, where, where did this come from? Why did we, why do we have this new category with the word Christian in it that we're supposed to lump all the people in it that we don't like, you know, Republicans and conservatives and people that read the Bible and stuff like that. But you have a, before the, the founders conference on January 19th and uh, through the 22nd, I think you're, you and Vody are doing a pre-conference where you're discussing Christian nationalism. So if you could give me a, a fair, middle of the road definition of what people define Christian nationalism to be. But then let's dig into it because I mean, I know a lot of Christians that are very wary about Christian nationalism and they're very worried and they don't see the the benefits to saying you're a Christian nationalist. And, you know, we're just now starting to get some books and some really in-depth blogs that really dig into the subject. But I think the the left side of the Christian aisle and the left side of the world has defined what this term is. And now Christians are kind of caught flat footed, like, no, 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 it actually means this. So help us out. Yeah, well, I wish I could. <laughs> it's a plastic word. I'm Stephen Wolf's book, Case for Christian Nationalism. He makes that case. And, and uh, it, it's an area that is obviously being recovered, I think, in response to what we're seeing going on in our culture, in our nation, in Western nations. And so that's good. I'm, I'm grateful for that. But it's, it's what the word means, what the definition of the term is, and then how it's used. And what you just said, it is used as a cudgel to bludgeon everyone. And I mean, there's there's some problematic elements in some of those who are identifying themselves as Christian nationalists. And so, sure. I, you know, I'm hesitant. I, I don't want to just say hey, I'm a Christian nationalist. And what you do is you give everybody uh, then a license to fill that with their own definitions. You know, I'm a reformed guy. I'm, I'm a Calvinist, five point Calvinist. I'm unashamed about it. But man, years ago when no Calvinism wasn't well known and people would come and ask me, are you a Calvinist? I'd always say, well, what do you mean by that? And they're like, well, you don't believe in evangelism. You know, you think God sends babies to hell and delights in that. And I said, no, no, I'm not that. If that's a Calvinist, I'm not that. And I'm having to do the same thing with Christian nationalism today as well. You know, what do you mean by it? If you mean somebody who believes that God has appointed the places and the times of our existence and that he has put me in this nation at this time and that my responsibility to love neighbors means that I need to, to think in terms of proximity and what does that mean? I can more easily love somebody who lives uh, here in the United States than I can somebody who lives in Botswana and that's just inevitable and that what God has done in this nation is, is worth celebrating 
in the, the good that's been accomplished. And I want to see it accomplish more good. And I want to see the influence of Christ's lordship over every square inch in the borders of these United States. Yeah, I want that. You know, does that mean that I want a theocracy? No, I don't want that. You know, does that mean that I want to uh, see people who, who are not Christians taken out in the streets and stoned? No, I don't want that. I mm -hmm. certainly believe that the Bible teaches us. The Bible gives us principles for liberty of conscience and for religious liberty. And uh, I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. I think the United States, the good that the United States has done, it has been able to do because there was a Christian worldview and foundation at the beginning of this nation. Kyle, this is something that got me thinking more along these lines. And again, I, I've written on this. I said, if that makes me a Christian nationalist, so be it. I don't care. Call me whatever you want to be. But here's a question that I began to ask a couple of years ago and even put it to some good friends of mine, close friends of mine that, that wouldn't see these things necessarily the way I do is here's the question. If we were given the opportunity or the responsibility to start a new nation today, could we come up with in this generation a nation like the United States? And the answer is obviously no. no. We, don't have, we don't have the the chops, man. We don't have the backbone. We don't have the worldview to do that. So, okay, well, if uh, if America has had any value, and it has, I mean, all these people that say America is a horrible place, I want to. I do say this compared to what? Go live in Cuba right. for a few months. You know, go over to China. I mean, we got people in our church. <laughs> a lot of people from Cuba, and they are livid yeah. when somebody says those kinds of things. They they say they don't know what they're talking about. So if we want if we want to appreciate what God has done in the United States of, of America across its history with all of our blemishes, we grant everything that wants to be said about that. Then why couldn't we today reproduce it? Why couldn't we do it if we we're given a blank slate? It's because we've forgotten God. We we have left what God has clearly revealed on the floor because we want to be nice and we don't want anybody to think ill of us. And those days are over, man. I got grandkids and uh, that as much as anything has motivated me to stay in this fight because I don't think I'll, you know, God can change everything in a day. So I'm not discounting what he can do, but there's no evidence right now on the horizon that I can see that I'm going to live to see uh, a change. I hope there will be a change, but man, if nothing else, I want to leave some signposts for my grandsons, mm -hmm. granddaughters, so that they can look back in 20, 30, 40 years and say, well, you know what, old Paps, uh, he said some things and he was on the right side of these issues. And and uh, and maybe God would use that in their lives to to stand firmer and do better than, than we've done. Well, I mean, the signpost for us should be our founding documents and what the founders actually believed at the moment, because to kind of go into to your, your theory a little bit more as a thought experiment, um, there are people in the world that think the Western countries, so include and disclude any countries that you want to say in Western countries, they think that they are fundamentally the same and superficially different, but it's the exact opposite. They are superficially the same and fundamentally different because when we just go back to our founding document and, you know, there's this there's this new movement in the last probably couple of decades that, oh, the founders weren't Christians. They weren't reading the Bible and then creating the Declaration of Independence and then creating our Constitution and, you know, all these different things. It's like I think there were like 51 or 52 signers of the Declaration of Independence. Not only were basically all of them Christian, over half of them graduated from seminary. At the time when seminaries were legit places where people actually studied the Bible and studied church history and studied theology and all these different things. So this idea 
that we're somehow the exact same as Canada or England or France or Italy or, or any of these types of things. It's like, based on what, like right. by what standard are you saying that these things are the same? And I think it goes back to this whole Christian nationalism thing to where for a guy like me, like I've, I've toyed with the idea of making Christian nationalist shirts. Like I told you just for to start that conversation with people, because it's like, look, I'm not thinking that there should be a theocratic fascist headed up by, you know, whoever's, whoever's favorite Christian is at the moment or something like that. But at the same time, it's like, it goes back to an answer that your senator, Senator Rubio, gave during the t- run-up to the 2016 election for the Republican ticket for president. He was asked by an atheist at a you know stump speech or you know uh, whatever he was doing. You know, hey, I'm a, I'm an atheist and you're a Christian. Like, why should I vote for you? Because you're going to be using your Christianity in the things that you're doing. And his response was perfect. He says, "You better hope that I do." Because my worldview gives you the foundation for human flourishing that atheism or secularism or, you know, humanism doesn't give you. And it was the perfect response. So to a degree, shouldn't we just embrace it and say, damn, all the people that think that, you know, this is some sort of nefarious thing. Like, I don't care. Like, this is how we're going to define it and operate moving forward. Yeah, I don't know. I think that the jury's still out on that in terms of what kind of language we use. But the principles... The principles that are being uncovered and being um, uh, extolled right now, I'm grateful for so many of those. And there's a lot of good spokesmen that are speaking up. And there's people that are trying to give more critical analysis to this. I mean, I'm not all the way finished with Stephen Wolf's book, but he came on my radar two or three years ago. He's doing his Ph.D. at LSU. And I'm just reading some of the things he's writing. So I called him and we had a wonderful conversation. I appreciate him. He's He has written things that we need to consider. He's uncovering things from our Protestant heritage that we need to give attention to. Uh, again, I think the book's got, you know, he's not trying to do everything in the book. So I don't, you know, he was, mm-hmm. for what he's trying to do, I think he's done a good job in, in helping to move this conversation forward. But uh, you know, with that, we we have to be, careful that we're not miscommunicating. We're not miscommunicating. And man, uh, that that's just, it's a minefield because you can turn the conversation off immediately or say things in a way that people who are listening to you that you really want to influence uh, assume is almost the opposite of what you're contending for. Let me, let me give a plug to one book. Uh, Mark David Hall's book, uh, Did America Have a Christian Founding? Yeah, uh, That is a superb treatment from a very scholarly uh, approach to answer the question that he poses in his title. So I actually picked up that book a while ago and haven't had the chance to, to take a look at it. But yeah, I would absolutely co-sign that just because of the people that have co-signed it and said like, yeah, this is something you need to check out. So Mark David Hall. And what was the name of the book again, just for our listeners? America Have a Christian Founding. I mean, because I, right. I was raised saying, yeah, you know, America was basically a Christian nation. All Christians founded it and uh, then got to college and said, you know, oh, no, that's a joke. No, anybody told you that lied to you. And they showed a lot of evidence, you know, contrary to it. And then I got into David Barton and his, you know, the wall builders and, and that seemed really wonderful. And then I started checking footnotes and I, uh, you know, he's, he's stretching some things here. And so, uh, you know, I hadn't really dealt a lot uh, with it until the last 10 years or so, but uh, Hall's book, is the best thing, the single best volume that I've read on this issue. He's got tons of footnotes. And in fact, in there, I learned something I didn't know about Thomas Jefferson, the deist Thomas Jefferson. You know what he wanted our national seal to be? He wanted it to be a picture of Pharaoh on his chariot going through the Red Sea with the waters coming over him, destroying him. (laughs) The deist wanted that. 
Right. See, see, again, when you go back and actually look at the founders, you get a much different view as opposed to what, you know, a intro to philosophy for professor at your favorite state college is going to give you. So I want to transition to a subject matter that's very important to me that I think is very important to our audience to get your perspective of on, and that's just masculinity and manhood inside the church in general. And so I know that we've, especially over the last several hundred years, seen a degradation of just overall uh, masculinity and the setting up of men inside the church, the focus on men that has something to do with, we had two world wars that were fought by a lot of our strong uh, men that were no longer in the church has to do with the, uh, Different cultural revolutions has to do with the industrial revolution that took a lot of men out of the household. And like, there's a lot of things that go into that, but there's this modern emphasis. Well, I guess in churches, there seems to be one of two emphasis. Number one, we're not going to focus on the men at all. We're just going to operate and do whatever we want. Or number two, we're going to do men's ministry, whatever that means, which typically becomes a once or twice a year men's event, prayer breakfast, bringing an ex-football player to come and talk about how he used to chase women and snort coke, but now he's saved and all that, which is fine. But that's not men's ministry, that's men's programming. Mm-hmm. And so I want churches and pastors to shift their thinking from men's ministry to man-friendly churches, churches that communicate, whether explicitly or implicitly, we are for you. We need you. We we need you here. We need to catechize you so you can catechize your children. That's Vody Bauckham's book, Family Shepherds. Like we need that. And we're going to do what we can to disciple you and, and facilitate that. So just talk to me a little bit about masculinity and manhood within the church. Yeah, well, you, you're not... You, you can't avoid it if you do an honest job of expositional preaching. Mm-hmm. Because again, it's God's world, God's book, and he defines these things for us. And so wherever you see deficiency in those areas, you can be sure there's a lack of expository preaching of the texts that have been given to us in scripture. Uh, yeah. Men or women are different and praise God for their differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, First Corinthians 16, 10, I think it is, where Paul says, you know, uh, act like men, be strong. Well, that me- they, they must have had some idea in their mind about what manhood was for him right. to be able to communicate a point about strength in that terminology. So we, it's, we, we don't need to be embarrassed about manliness, and we don't need to be embarrassed about femininity. Uh, God designed them both. And man, you see it in our education system. Uh, so much is designed for, for girls and, and the feminine way of thinking. Uh, so we want to challenge men. I mean, because the danger is, and what we see, we're seeing it in our culture some, is there's this, this rebound to the feminization of our culture and even churches where it's almost like uh, Rambo, you know, Hey man, mm-hmm. if you're going to be a man, then you know, it's, it's machismo rather than biblical manhood. Uh, we've been doing this for years. Once a quarter, we take our men, set them aside in a normal meeting. We have a prayer meeting, Bible study on Wednesday nights, and we just deal with men. We just talk about stuff that men need to, to address. And sometimes, you know, have to speak pretty plainly and, and rebukingly to them on some issues. And we do the same thing with women. You know, we just, elders will teach this. And so uh, we're not doing, it's not like we think there's a women's Bible or women's study Bible and a man's study Bible. It's not that. We're just wanting to talk specifically about things that God says, God distinguishes between men and women, older men, older women, and, and younger. I mean, those are all God's designations. And so we want to try to understand that and apply the gospel, apply the law in those scenarios and, and where you are in life. And what that means is, you know, with guys, I mean, I've got five daughters, one son, 
and uh, you know the, the boy stood out. He, he just he went nuts trying to to do what the the feminine atmosphere of our home at times would suggest, and we tried to protect him from that. That you know you're a boy, you're not a girl. And the sisters, mm-hmm. look, he's not you. Don't you? He's don't dress him up. He's not he's not a doll. He's not a girl. So just understanding that God made men and women differently. And they're good. They're both good. One's not more valuable than the other. Both made in the image of God, but they both have responsibilities and roles that God has ordained in his world and in the various spheres where they they might find themselves. I think that there's a lot of great stuff there that I think just for pastors and some of the best advice I've given is just, can you have the men in mind when you're creating your sermons? Just, oh, yeah. just, I've had uh, worship leaders reach out to me like, I didn't have the men in mind when I was picking out the songs, the, the lyrical content, the keys that we would sing. And I don't really understand music, but like, you know, they were singing these songs and keys that men had trouble hitting where yeah. the lyrics were like almost homoerotic in nature. Like we're singing to Jesus as if he's our, you know, cute Danish boyfriend or something like that. And mm-hmm. it's like, they just having them in mind uh, is, is, is changing a lot of that. Uh, for, we'll make this the last question of the day because you, you kind of teed it up a little bit earlier. And it's the liberalization of seminaries. Um, is there anything that can be done about that? Because you're going to have people, I mean, we, we just elected one to, to the U.S. Senate, Raphael Warnock, who is a reverend, apparently, who doesn't believe in the resurrection and also doesn't believe that women shouldn't be able to murder their children inside the womb. So what can be done about that? Well, uh, I'll tell you what I've done. <laughs> uh, we started the Institute of Public Theology uh, last year, and we're in our second year. Uh, we are committed to rock solid biblical, theological, historical teaching, but doing it with a view to the public square, because I think even more than liberalism, that's certainly there across the board in the Christian world and the higher education seminary training. But even even more than that is there is this this uh, cultural capitulation. You know, we we now have freedom of worship inside our four walls. So stay there. Don't don't be too outspoken. Don't address things. And man, uh, our theology needs to be public because God is public and God is the one who speaks to us the truth of his word. So this Institute of Public Theology that we've started is designed for that very purpose. You know, we're praise God for every good thing that's done in every academic institution. But we are on record with having only the kind of teachers that are unafraid to lay it on the line. And I would put our faculty already in our second year up against any faculty in the world. Man, we got Vody Balkum, Tom Nettles. Uh, we got Mark Coppinger and um, uh, Carl Truman. Uh, we, it's just, we got good guys, solid men who are unafraid to speak the truth and not flinch. And so that that's one thing, you know, we, we see more of these institutions popping up over the last 10 years or so. And I'm grateful for every good one that does every good thing, any good thing. But we have a specific approach that we're taking and unashamedly so. And we believe it's what's going to be necessary in the, the years and generations to come. Well, that's great. I'm so happy that you've been able to pull something like that out. And I really appreciate all the time today and all the different subject matters that we've gotten into. But for now, that is all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, man, I appreciate all you're doing. Uh, it's a big war. And uh, what, what I tell people all the time when they, they say, what about that guy? He didn't dot the I's with us or cross the T's with us. I said, all right, he's got a gun. Let's help him point it the right direction so he's not shooting us in the butt. And maybe he's taking out a few enemies. You know, we love that. All right, sounds good. Well, Tom Askell, thank you for coming on on Daunted Life of Man's podcast. Yeah, thank you, Kyle.
There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my interview and my time with Tom Askell. But before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So here are the links I've got for you today. I've got a link to the Founders Ministry website. I got a link to an article that is from him that was on his website. It's called The SBC Must Be Shaped by the Word, Not by the World. I thought that was a fantastic article, so I included that here. I've also got a link to the 2023 National Founders Conference, so you guys can get a little bit more information on that because we did talk about it on the show and a link to the website for the Institute of Public Theology. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to the show. We do appreciate it wherever you're listening to this. Please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. Follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music on our content. The music on this podcast is their song Cutting the Tides, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album, Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience, keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>